0: In my I'm finding the these days of brewing that the focus remains the focal vocal point of my team hello and welcome to the rambling runner podcast I'm your host Matt chittam and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives and this show is presented by you can generation you can I love this stuff. You Can delivers smarter energy powered by superstars to help you finish stronger. Runners love You Can because it's easy on the stomach and gives you long-lasting energy with no spikes or crashes. One of those runners is me. This stuff is great. This is for sure. So Olympians like Meb Meb Kofluski and Dathan Ritzenheim. Pro runners like Sarah Sellers and more than 40 2020 Olympic Marathon Trials qualifiers rely on UCAN to fuel their training. There's a lot of different things that you can get. There's the energy bars. There are the energy powders. There also is like the, the electrolyte powder that I like to use after a run. This is all really good stuff. For me, I like to use the electrolyte powder after the run and the energy bars before a longer run or just during the day to curb cravings. If you want to give them a try, you can save 15% by using code RAMBLINGRUNNER at checkout. RAMBLINGRUNNER, save 15% on UCAN. So, this episode is with Margaret Spring. I cannot wait to get into this episode. But before we do, I do want to give a heads up because, as you may be aware, yesterday... I made a big announcement here on the podcast. I released an episode describing the newest podcast on the Rambling Runner Podcast Network, Road to the Olympic Trials. I could not be more excited about this podcast. I think it's going to be wonderful. I do want to say that the Rambling Runner podcast will continue on. This is not going to affect the Rambling Runner podcast, but now you're just going to have more options. And I think that if you like this podcast, the Rambling Runner podcast, usually it's because you love hearing the stories of what's actually going on with fascinating and dedicated runners. And that's exactly what I'm going to be doing with the Road to the Olympic Trials. So obviously, I usually don't do interviews with Elite Runners, which is exactly what this new podcast will be. But the, the theory behind it is the same. It's chronicling what's happening behind the scenes with fascinating people. And I cannot wait to get started. So the first month of this new podcast is going to be pretty simple. It's going to be basically two episodes a week for four weeks. So Intro episode of sorts for each runner. Some runners need a little bit more of an intro than others because you might not know of them. So someone like Kellen Taylor or Jared Ward doesn't need as much an introduction as maybe some other runners, but hey, introductions are great. You get a little bit of a perspective, set the context, and in all these introductory episodes, we do talk a lot about 2019 and 2020. Then, every four to six weeks, I'm going to interview each runner as they progress through the season to get a full view on what's happening in their lives. So, it's going to be on average one to two episodes per week for the next nine months. This is going to be great. I really, really am excited about this. Also, what you need to do is go on to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe today because this episode, these episodes are going to start coming out next week. The first one is going to come out on Tuesday, July 9th. And there's a very specific reason why it's going to come out on that day. That's the day that there's a particular marathon is allowing their elites to announce which fall marathon they're going to be doing. And that's the day that one of our runners is going to make that announcement and With that comes their first episode and our first episode of the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast. I cannot wait. I think you're going to love it. I know that I have loved conducting these interviews, and they're just going to get better as the season goes on. So... With all of that being said, thank you for indulging me in this long explanation about what that podcast is going to be. Please make sure you subscribe today. It would mean the world to me. So here's my conversation with Margaret. We're going to do a quick little ad spot before we get into it. But with that said, thank you so much for listening and happy running. Hello, Margaret, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Matt.
0: It's my pleasure. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, and what better time than after you just kicked some serious butt at the Leadville Trail Marathon?
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: I'll tell you what; it was like one of those like pretty iconic pictures. I think to to see you on the podium right next to Kara Goucher. I know she's not a trail running um veteran like you are, but still, like to, to be up there with someone of her caliber must have been pretty cool to look over and be like, "Hey, I know that lady." It was
1: super um, fun. Yeah, it was awesome.
0: Yeah. So to put it in, so you came in third in your age group, correct?
1: I came in third in my age group. Yeah.
0: That is awesome. How exciting! So, what was what were your goals heading into heading into that race?
1: Um. So that was my first trail marathon, and so my goal was to finish. <laughs> um. <laughs> To finish in one piece and I did that. So that's, um, great news.
0: There you go. So, you know, you're, you're someone who has a lot of running experience. Why at this point did you decide to do a trail marathon and why have, why haven't you done one earlier? So it's, it's interesting because I think of your background. I was surprised to hear you say this was your first.
1: Yeah. So basically this was, um, a training run for the trans Rockies event that Randy and I are doing. In August, which is a six day staged race. It's 120 miles and 20,000 vertical feet. And so this was a way to kind of prepare for that mentally and physically and just get used to some of those longer days. Um, and I guess I've always been really intimidated about longer distances on the trail. I've done the Pikes Peak Ascent um, several times, but always thought like, no way in hamburgers will I do anything longer on the trail. Um For one, my skill set is not downhill. And so I've avoided anything that requires <laughs> any sort of downhill like the plague. So yeah, this year, not anymore. Here, though, like, <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> Just go for it and face it. I'm like, well, here we go.
0: (laughs) Right. That's one way to face your fears. It's like, I know. I know a way to face my fears. I'll run Leadville and then I'll run the Trans Rockies (laughs) stage race.
1: Oh, man. (laughs) Just
0: jump in. Full on in for sure. And we should say that you mentioned Randy. That's Randy Lish, kind of your partner in crime in in so many respects.
1: Yeah. She is just. An amazing and inspiring um, runner who has so much grit, and it's been really fun to train with her and to kind of get to grow together. So, I'm super excited about our journey in seven short weeks from today.
0: There you go. So, what did you do to prepare for Leadville, considering that you know it's it, you were basically using Leadville to prepare for another thing? But how do you prepare for this race, considering? your fears of going downhill and just the fact that you hadn't run a trail marathon before.
1: Um. Yeah. So I just put a lot of time in on my feet. Uh, this winter was super hard because it was so snowing around here. So it was really challenging to kind of build mileage out on the trails. Uh, so I made my husband take a bunch of different getaways to warmer spots to get on the trail. So Uh, higher mileage. And then I would say just within the past, um, four weeks leading up to Leadville, I started working on downhill and would take myself out to a trail and, you know, kind of conserve with my climbing and then literally stop at the top and just be like, you got this little one now. Let's go. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it, it was a lot of, practice, uh, just in the four weeks leading up to Leadville, just mentally and physically, because the body's like, what are you doing? Like your downhills are usually the speed of your uphills. So (laughs) still getting used to that one.
0: And that's like, then that's one of the, the keys, right? For, for trail running or ultras, ultras is to, you know, kind of gain the speed back on the downhills that you kind of sacrifice by, you know, either power hiking or walking on the uphills.
1: Yeah, that's the technique. <laughs> so, so I still have a ton to learn.
0: <laughs> I, so, I do,
1: so, like I literally do.
0: Woo. <laughs> so we, so when you were practicing, what were some of the things that you were, you know, either advice that you'd received or what were some of the things that you were trying to key on to improve in this area?
1: Yeah, so I actually reached out to um, Gina Lucrezi who started Trail Sisters, and asked her for some tips and advice and she gave me a few tips uh, which was awesome because she's like sub six minutes on the downhill can really crush and so she had suggested starting on something that's like not as steep or practice running down a grassy hill um, and go from there so she was huge in helping me Tackle some of that and then also going out with a few different runners and getting comfortable kind of following their lines down the downhills and um, trying to have fun, <laughs> like goofing around a little bit and learning to not stiffen my entire body out of like sheer fear of landing. You know, people are like, what are you afraid of? I'm like, well, I'm not afraid of falling. Like I can fall, but landing hurts. <laughs> so it's been fun to kind of work with different people. Um, and also to get tips from people that are just total badasses out there.
0: Absolutely. I am so going downhill on a trail is like one of my biggest fears as well. So we can, we can commiserate on this point. And for me, <laughs> it's, it's born out of my repeated ankle injuries. Uh, from basketball and actually hurt my ankle doing, um, trail, doing a trail run when I was in high school as well. I stepped on a route and kind of turned it. And that's, that's like for me, it's like the idea of going downhill, like I feel like I go faster uphill because <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm going downhill, like, like on my hands and knees. I'm so afraid of it. And I know that part of that is counterintuitive. Like the more free you run, you're probably less susceptible to injury as opposed to someone who kind of goes down like so skittish and scared.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So how did you perform in the race once you got going?
1: Um, you know, I think I, I held my own. Um, so that was good. I think starting out like the day before, I was super anxious the entire day. I'm like, I don't know what I just signed myself up for. I don't know if I can do this. Um, and I kind of gave voice to a lot of my fear and anxiety that day. And reached out to a few people. Um, and they're like, you've trained hard. You got this. And so race day, I was kind of able to let some of the doubt and fear go. And, uh, I was able to be really conservative probably for the first 18 miles and allowed myself the freedom to walk up the hills and just kind of enjoy it. Um, and then once I hit probably like mile 20, I would say, I'm like, okay, like this is time to have fun. And so just kind of approached it like, I got this and let's have some fun. Like this is, the whole race is here for you. Like you can either be fearful and let it take you down, or you can try and find like some joy and strength and just kind of go for it. So yeah, I was able to let loose a little bit.
0: And did the fear subside at all as the race progressed?
1: Yeah, I think just seeing everybody out there doing it together kind of helped. And then I had my phone connected to my watch and I was getting text messages from all my friends, which was so amazing. And so um I think that helped as well. Just seeing people's names come across my watch face and I'm like, oh, they believe I can do this, you know, whatever this looks like. And so, yeah, it. I get. Crossed the finish line and I was like, okay, I can do this. So it was pretty great.
0: And when you crossed, did you feel like at that point, like, did you know that you'd had a pretty good day or were you just kind of like, were you unaware of how it went? Because as you said, the first 20 miles, you obviously took it, you know, took it almost like, it sounds like you almost took it casually, but I assume that that's more of a mindset than like how you actually physically handled it because shoot, man, like I can't imagine this race being you know, anything but very challenging considering the terrain and the length and the time on feet and all of those things.
1: Yeah, I would agree. That's, it was more of a mindset. Um, but also the realization that it's just a gift to be out there and to be moving. Um, and yeah, when I crossed the finish line, honestly, I had no idea where I was in the pack. Um, I, you know, it was a lot of out and back, but I never focused on counting anybody or, you know, I was waving to Kara like on all the own backs and kind of cheering her on and the other ladies in front, but I had no idea where I was. So I crossed the finish line and my first thought was like, yeah, I, I just did that. I just ran 26.2 miles at 10,000 feet. So that's pretty cool.
0: And Heck, I yeah, it is, man. Car. That's for sure. <laughs> so so had you done races that were longer than that in the past?
1: No, this is my longest race. I've, um, run a few marathons, like I did Boston and Colfax. Um, but trail wise, that's my longest distance. So.
0: Okay. So when you were preparing for this, you mentioned that you, the the emphasis for you was time on feet. What did that look like? Say in the last six weeks or the, you know, the preceding six weeks to the race, like how, like how much time were you spending running? per week or so?
1: Uh, So my highest mileage week was maybe about 50 miles and I did a lot of uh, vertical. I love, well, I love climbing. I love climbing because it makes me feel like I'm in control of something. So I picked uh, routes that were really challenging. So two or three weeks before The Leadville Marathon. I went to uh, Palm Springs and did the Cactus to Clouds, which is I think it's eighty five hundred feet of vertical. Um, So it's it's an intense climb. It's straight up. That was one of my big runs. I did the. That's that's literally climbing.
0: That's literally running up a mountain.
1: Yeah, that was a kick in the (laughs) pants. I ate the biggest slice of cake after I'm like, oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, and then the Boulder Skyline Traverse, I think, um, not, I think I, that was huge in terms of preparing me for some of the up and down on the leadville course, but also mentally preparing because that was, it was tough. It was a tough, um, little run and i made it through so i was like okay i think i got this
0: so when you're when you're training uh on these challenging routes that you're trying to take how much how much do you alternate between trying to run up these hills versus power hike versus walk how do you decide um what to do in you know during different stages of various runs
1: yeah so i'm really still learning how to conserve energy, especially since my technique was to power up everything. Um, but I would say in the last four to six weeks, I've gotten a little bit more comfortable power hiking. Um, so, and I think, you know, you end up being faster when you, when you power hike versus when you're trying to barrel up and run, but I still have a lot to learn there too. So I would say I don't know. Maybe I try and run up like seventy-five percent and hike twenty-five. So what? So not so so, so not the best technique yet, Matt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, still less better than mine, Margaret. You just came in third (laughs) in your age group, the Leadville Marathon. Uh, You 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 can teach me any day of the week, that's for sure. So so you mentioned before that you've run a couple uh, road marathons before, and that these longer distances on the trail are new to you. So what brought you to this point in your your running career where you are are focusing so heavily on trail running and now kind of getting into the longer distances?
1: Uh yeah, I just really love the peace of being in the mountains and being on a trail and not really seeing anybody. I'm a huge introvert. So <laughs> I love the solo time of exploring and being in nature. And challenging myself. I mean, I love feeling short of breath than, um, like seeing the valleys below. So I think just exploring, being in nature, and a lot of times just being by myself and having time to think and process. And the community, the community has been so amazing and so welcoming. I mean, there's, I've gotten to run with a few elite runners that have welcomed me like, and it's incredible. I'm nowhere near their caliber, but people are like, yeah, come run with us or this will be fun. And uh, so that's been huge, too. I, I don't know any other sport where if you're not or if you're still learning to be better that people would say, yeah, come out like we want to help you get there. Come enjoy this with us.
0: How does that even happen for you, Uh, considering, like you said, that you're an introvert um, and it seems like, wow, like what what an amazingly like social and just like, I mean, hey, to get like be able to run with someone like that is a huge gift. So how did you ingratiate yourself into that community?
1: Yeah. So sometimes I've been introduced through friends like my friend um, and physician, Josh, introduced me to Hillary Allen and we got to go on a run together. Um, and then Ria Kolb has been amazing. She lives in Boulder and I just reached out to her through Instagram and kind of was like, Hey, would you ever be interested in running on one of your slow days? And she's like totally and, um, super down to earth. So I've gotten to run with her a couple of times as well. So, now that's yeah.
0: awesome man. and that area of the world it just seems like it's just such a beautiful place to run not only from a scenic perspective but just how many runners are around like you must just be able to like you know reach out and touch so many high level mm-hmm. runners just in that in that small little vicinity
1: yeah you get to see a lot of like really badass runners i was at chautauqua yesterday and saw um sandy i can't pronounce her last name but she runs for rabbit i'm like only in Boulder do you see these elites like just in passing. <laughs> so it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's pretty wild. I had a similar moment actually today. I, I just ran in. Um, I just came home from a 5k here in Providence where it was one of the, um, one of the brave like Gabe 5ks that are all over the country today. Today would have been her 33rd birthday. So it was kind of like a pickup 5k in Providence. And um, there was like, a pretty good crowd considering that it was like torrential rain. And I look next to me and all of a sudden it was Kim Smith was right next to me. You know, like the former NCAA cross-country champion, Olympian from Ireland, you know, one of the best runners, you know, in the world during her heyday. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is insane. You know what I mean? So you, all of a sudden you turn into like this little fanboy and you're like. I don't know why if this happens to you when you're running around Boulder, but I like all of a sudden completely forget like that I'm supposed to be running. I just want to like, want to watch this other person run.
1: Oh, totally. Totally. I ran into Kara Goucher like a couple of weeks before the Leadville marathon. And I was like, Oh wait, <laughs> hold on. You know, I fangirled for a little bit and um we stopped and chatted for a little bit. She's, mentioned that she was just as terrified as the downhills and i was like well i'm in pretty good company then
0: oh so. see there you go <laughs>
1: <laughs> she said I mean, she said, i'll hold your hand the whole way down i'm like please do because i'm going to be bawling probably like what am i doing out there
0: <laughs> right it doesn't make the fear go away but maybe mm-hmm. it helps the self-consciousness go away
1: yeah but it, it was kind of cool to have somebody else voice just exactly how they felt like she's so humble and was super encouraging. She's like, we got this. I'm like, all right, let's do it.
0: <laughs> now, you, know, you mentioned before that this is part of a training race for you, that you and Randy are going to be doing the Trans Rockies. Explain uh, how that came to be in terms of you know why you wanted to do this and what you're doing it for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um Randy and I came up with the idea last August. So we were following Hillary... Alan and Lucy as they journeyed through the Trans Rockies event and you know started talking about it and were like, Oh, this would be cool, we should do it. Um, just kind of seeing that in passing. And at that same time, uh the ring bearer in my wedding uh was just diagnosed with leukemia for the third time. So he's now nine years old, and at that point Um, he could barely walk. He had so much pain in his limbs from all the chemotherapy he'd gone through. And I just had a lot of grief around it and the situation. Um, and they were looking for treatments and I've done a lot of fundraising for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And so Randy and I were talking and I was like, Randy, like, I think we can do this. Um, and what if we did it to raise awareness and funds for childhood cancer and the leukemia and lymphoma society and she was immediately on board and she's like yes this is awesome we should do it um and so we kind of started talking and dreaming and we registered i think like the last week of august last year in um yeah, so that's kind of the why behind why we're doing the Trans-Rockies. Uh, Connor underwent, so he was diagnosed with his third relapse of leukemia on July 17, and then underwent chemotherapy, and then his body was just kind of shot from all of the cancer treatments um, and relapsed again in September. And then he um, is getting this experimental treatment, which is called CAR T cells. So it's where uh, cells are harvested from him and they're programmed to fight the cancer, the leukemia. And part of the reason that's even possible is because the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society like, has given money for research and also helped with funding for that. And so today he's eight months cancer-free with these cells, which, you know, he probably wouldn't be alive without this life-saving treatment. And so for me, I think raising awareness for cancer and leukemia and specifically the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is huge because I get more time with this kid that's been such a light in my life and i get to tell the story of his um journey and struggle and also hope um and while that's amazing and that's you know the story i want to tell also sadly um february 13th we lost uh, one of our little pals um who's was two who was born with leukemia Um, and so Randy and I are just hoping through our journey and doing the race that we're able to kind of tell the story like of hope, but also like where, you know, we lose kids too because we don't have enough funding for childhood cancer. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty, (laughs) it's like heavy.
0: (laughs) For sure, which means, you know, that's why it's important, right? If it was easy breezy, it wouldn't be worthwhile. You know what I mean? In a sense, uh it would be worthy of of the phil- of the philanthropy you're trying to to generate and the impact you're trying to have, which is substantial and meaningful in in all the most, you know, positive and powerful ways. So are you is is, he, is Connor a relative of yours or a relative of your husband's?
1: Um, no, so he is actually a former patient of mine. I work at the Children's Hospital in Denver. I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. And so I started treating him when he was like 18 months of age. Um, and he was diagnosed with leukemia, I think two months into me treating him. And then, um, when I stopped treating him, we just became really close, like, He's such a special kid. And so yeah. That's kind of how we met.
0: Well, what a connection you two must have had. <laughs> I mean, it's not I mean, obviously you're in this field for a reason. You you certainly care about kids and you want to help them. With that said, it sounds like you made a special connection with him, not simply because he had leukemia, but there must have been something there also that kind of bonded you to him and his family.
1: Yeah. My dad always used to say heart speaks to heart and this kid, he and I would just laugh hysterically nonstop during treatment sessions. And, you know, the people at the front desk were like, what is Margaret going to do next to get this kid like laughing because his belly laugh is the absolute best. I mean, I would hide in boxes. I would hide behind the counters and just kind of like jump out. And yeah, he's, he's got a good heart and a great laugh.
0: Now, when you work with patients like this, whether they're someone like uh Connor, who's, you know, obviously going through um something that's that you wouldn't wish on anybody, or just any kid who's or trying to overcome a challenge, what's it like for you to try to maintain that positive outlook in front of them, that 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 overall positivity and glowing personality, when it can also be, I'm assuming, like obviously like a pretty big bummer because you know, you're looking at this kid and you're like, hey, like I wouldn't I don't want you to be in this situation. Like I care about you. I want you to be better and it's easy I would think for negativity to creep in.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna say it's always easy. Um but I think one so we were actually talking about this at a work conference um a couple of weeks back in terms of like what makes us feel alive or what brings us to work and I think one of the things that I'm able to bring to situations is hope. And I have no idea like where that comes from or why that's my drive. But um, yeah, I, I have so much fun with the kids and I feel like instilling hope for whatever the next step is, is something that I'm really good at. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just... I love having fun. I love singing everything as we're going through treatment sessions. And I think hearing the family say things to me like, my child looks forward to coming to see you. And this is the happiest part of their week. And they're not fearful coming to the hospital because they know like we're going to work on X, Y, and Z, or we're going to sing this song. And so being able to give that to a child and their families when they're going through so much hardship is such an incredible gift to me, like that I can that I can bring that. And um I'm worked at the end of the day for sure. I'm like, whew, that was a lot. But um I also leave feeling good. Like, yeah, like I brought some happiness in a really dark hour or dark period of time to somebody. And that feels really
0: good. So do you typically run before work or after work?
1: I run before work. So today I got up at 4:45 and headed out the door. Um I don't have energy for it after. It makes me nauseous to run at night mostly. So I have to get it done before otherwise um I don't go and I'm like in bed eating tater tots.
0: I can imagine. Yeah, it's like I I was listening to somebody. I forget who it was there's someone who ran after work and as they do try to get, um, you know, try to get their routine in. it got to the point where like they had to make sure that they did not sit down on the couch because they sat down on the couch. It was over. Like, you just like, you know, throw in the towel. They weren't going to be able to get back up from their runs. They had to basically, you know, figure out their best way to like avoid the couch. But I'm like you, like even when I didn't have kids, a post-work run was awful for me. Like I was always so wiped out. That I had to run before work, even though, like, hey man, you know, running, waking up in the fours is no fun either, and that can be pretty tiring. But <laughs> it's a different, it's a different kind of tired, right? It's a sleepy tired, not like that full body exhaustion that you know yeah. a hard day at work can provide.
1: Yeah, I have nothing left after work.
0: So here you are trying to help, you know, kids get better, you know, as an occupational therapist, and I guess the irony is like you battled injuries for a long, long time, like you were you know, someone who was, you know, going through, you know, trying to get back to full strength so you could do the running thing as much as you could. So what was it like battling injuries for like, what, you battled injuries for like almost 10 years?
1: Yeah, a long time. Um I I've definitely had seasons where I've kind of given up hope for that. And it's frustrating. I mean, it's definitely super frustrating. I know leading up to Boston I was only able to train like three days a week because I was injured. Like I had arthritis in my knee and tons of swelling and it was just painful. Um, and so it's been challenging. But I also have, I feel like I've kind of done everything <laughs> that you can possibly do. And I'm still trying to do things, but tons of physical therapy. Um, I added strength training you know, just this year, which is a little bit ridiculous that I've waited this long. Um, I've worked with chiropractors. I've worked with orthopedists. I've done coaching on changing my gait and my cadence. Um, and I think, you know, as a road runner for a long time, I was, it was a lot of high impact and switching to the trails has been kind of a game changer me as well it's just a little bit more forgiving on the body in terms of uh, you're just I uh, I don't really know how to describe it but it's a lot more forgiving to me I think my body likes the variability of it um yeah so I I've definitely felt frustrated with injury I've definitely had times where I'm like, I can't do this. Like I'm spending so much time and money on trying to do something that I love and it's not working and I'm not recovering the way I want to. And it's just frustrating, like to the point of, you know, being tearful um, a lot of times. But I also feel like, you know, being in the field that I'm at, like the kids choose to show up in their bodies every day. And so I think seeing that and seeing their grit and perseverance and determination also helps me have a little bit different outlook. I'm like, well, I get to do this and I'm choosing to put my body through this. And this isn't like one fourth of the effort that a child with cerebral palsy puts towards like walking down
0: half a hallway.
1: So here you go. (laughs) Like be thankful for even the things you can do.
0: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense and I can definitely see that comparison mindset, but also like you also can feel how you feel, right? Like Yep. You know, totally. if, if you know you you obviously love running, so not being able to do it can be frustrating even if you can make those comparisons, like it can still be frustrating and you can still appreciate that you have your health. Absolutely. So, what about running? Kept you coming back. I mean, being injured for that amount of time is a. I mean, shoot, man, a decade is a long time to kind of be going <laughs> back and forth like that. What uh, kept bringing you back? Uh,
1: just the way I feel when I'm out there and moving. I feel, I feel free. I feel like capable. Um, it's a way for me to like manage and process my emotions, and a way to be outside and also i you know thinking like one of these days i'm gonna be good at this or i'm gonna be better at this i feel as if i have the grit and determination to continue to work at it and and be better at it i shouldn't say be good be better at it so striving for being better
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and at the same time it's just it's you know, someone who's dealt with injuries as well, it, it is frustrating to kind of keep going back and forth. So when you had those down moments that you were trying to recover from and get back to full strength and see what your body can do, what were some of the goals, if you had any at that point that you kind of viewed as like a motivating factor to keep you moving? Was it simply just the joy of running or did you have any any tangible goals as well?
1: Ooh, I would say no tangible goals. I mean, I think, you know, some of those times where you feel like hopeless or that it's not going to work out, um, you find yourself settling on things. And I think a lot of times I would tell myself, like, all, like, if you just get back to running, if you just get back to the trails, like, that's enough. And you can be happy there because you love the sport so much. And so, I think a lot of times it was just saying just even getting back out there and being able to run or be. And it doesn't matter how fast. I mean, I, you know, I told myself that, like, you'll be happy just to be out there. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but.
0: No, it absolutely does. That's for sure. So what are you doing now to get ready for Trans Rockies now that Leadville is passed?
1: Yeah, so. I think the key for both Ryindi and I, because one of the tricks is when you start, when you start going, you're like, I can do this forever, nonstop. Um <laughs> And so we're really trying to settle in and take some nice, slow, easy days, flat days, and not get so caught up in speed or Strava segments or vertical gain. Um, so that's one huge thing that we're doing is trying to take the easy runs easy. Uh, we're continuing to build our mileage and then a ton of strength training. So I'm trying to do two to three days a week of strength training. And then I think the biggest thing for me is actually uh, a focus on Restorative yoga and recovering, and just giving myself time and space to recover and to be still and um, to work on some of the mental challenges that I have and to be present in the moments that are right now.
0: Got it. And what's the logistics involved for this race? Like, how much of it do you like? What are you planning on carrying? You know, during each segment, how much do you have to pack versus how much is kind of at each, you know, aid stations along the way or, you know, at the end of the day? What, what, just what's the logistical planning that has to go into this race?
1: Yeah. So they, so the Trans Rockies crew will set up tents. So they'll have tents for us. We camp every single night. We get one huge duffel bag to put all of our gear in. Um, so we'll have outfits for each day. And then we actually, for the race, Randy and I have picked a color for each day and each color is, um, for a kid that's has either childhood cancer or leukemia, um, couple that have passed away. So we're pretty excited about that. We get to do some shopping, but also we had some of the kids pick out their favorite colors, which is awesome. And then required gear like rain jackets and hydration systems and headlamps and food. And then my husband's actually going to be crewing the whole week. He took the week off. Um, he's a physician at the hospital as well. And he was super kind and took the week off, and so he's going to kind of travel alongside us and give us things if we need them and cheer us on. So that's going to be
0: huge. Oh, that is exciting. All right, so um, we, we can put this in the show note as well, but if someone's interested in supporting the cause, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, so there's a link on Randy and I's Instagram for the the light the night page, but just really simply it's, if you go to transrockiesforacure.com for a and click on that link, there's ways to donate. And then we're also, um, they can sponsor us through charity miles, which is pretty awesome. Do you know charity miles, the app?
0: I do. I do. But explain it just in case people haven't heard of it.
1: Yeah. So charity miles is an app that you use when you're out walking or running or biking, and it raises money for different organizations. And so one of the organizations it raises money for is the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And we have a team on there. The team name is Connor McStrong. And so anytime you go out for a run, you can raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, You can hook it to... I think Strava. So if you have a Garmin or one of the other watches that connects through Strava and then Strava connects to the app. So it's super simple. Anytime I go out on a run, um, I'm raising money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. But what's super cool now is that they've added where you can sponsor your friends. So if somebody wants to sponsor either Randy or myself, They can donate like $0.05 a mile or $0.10 a mile. And then once we complete a certain number of miles, like if they say, I want to give $0.10 for 500 miles, they'll get a notification that we've run that many miles. And then they'll be able to press on the link to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and make their donation. So. It's super awesome because it motivates Randy and I to get our miles in. But also, you know, somebody else is motivating us to do it, too, because we know if we run these miles, we get this money for this organization.
0: Yeah, it's a really innovative app. That's for sure. And I know there's like a lot of competitors in that space, but they've really kind of like launched ahead of everybody and are really doing great work. I know you've been involved with them for a while now, which is uh, which is really interesting. Margaret, you're doing so much for so many people. Thank you so much for coming on this show and telling me all about it.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Matt.
0: Margaret, thank you again for coming on this show. It was such a pleasure to talk to Margaret. I love talking to ultra runners because I have them on so infrequently. It's not really something that I've been able to do as a runner. So it's just fascinating to hear uh, what they do in their training and in their racing and and just in their lives. I just feel like it's a... uh, a different perspective than one I normally hear. And I always uh, am greatly appreciative for the people who come on the show who have done this in their training and in their racing. So, Margaret, thank you again for coming on. Also, thank you, everybody, for checking out Road to the Olympic Trials. I cannot wait for this podcast to come out. The people who have listened to the trailer have been big fans, and I think everyone is excited for this show to start kicking out some legit episodes, which will happen on Tuesday, July 9th. So subscribe now so you don't miss a beat. Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate it, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to MetaP P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu is produced by Symphonic Bang.